to take that time. And um, like I said, it's, it's all together. It's all a family thing and something that we can rejoice in the Lord together uh, in. <clears throat> all right, so just a few things, uh, announcements before we get into this morning's message in Second uh, Corinthians. We're in chapter 10, by the way. But uh, number one, we have a spaghetti dinner fundraiser coming up for the Haiti missions trip. That is, on, that is on Friday, March 10th at 6.30 p.m. We will be uh, selling tickets today. And so I encourage you, um, you know, I told you there's three ways that you can participate in the Haiti missions trip. Number one is to go. Um, but also you can pray and, uh, and help out financially um, in any, any form, um, of course, is a blessing. Uh, but if you can't, just pray. And, um, and that is of, of great help, and you are participating and, uh, and joining in um, that work, even beforehand, during, and after, as we pray for those who we are going to be ministering to in Haiti. And so keep in mind, Haiti is uh, not necessarily even a third world country. From what I understand, Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, and um, so they've gone through uh, devastating times, not only financially, economically, um, but remember that the earthquake that devastated uh, much, uh, many of their um, homes, and um, just it, it's, it's in a bad place. Um, we know that there's a, a lot of witchcraft and um, just some dark um, things going on there. And so the light of God's word um, going and penetrating the hearts of, of people is really what we're praying for. And through this ministry that, that uh, people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so that's really the bottom line. But anyway, the spaghetti dinner will be the one and only fundraiser that we have um, for that mission trip. And again, uh, tickets will be on sale today. And that's for a donation. It's not for you know uh, any amount that is set. We also have a men's prayer breakfast coming up on uh, this Saturday, March 4th. It's at 7 a.m. So I encourage you men to uh, continue to set that date aside and come and be a part of, um, of really joining together and lifting up um, the needs of the family, the church, our kids, uh, friends. It's a special time of coming to go together, breaking bread, and uh, lifting uh, these prayers up to the Lord. Uh, January, February has been strong. Guys, just keep moving in that direction. Uh, and uh, hopefully we have a, a packed out house again on Saturday. Um, yeah, praise God for that. So I encourage you to do that. We also have a softball league. And that's starting up here pretty soon on March 4th also, the same day. Uh, we play at Southridge Park in Fontana. The cost is $35 to join. And if you have any questions, you can see John Squires afterwards. Where's John? Back here. Oh, he's way back there. So John's coach John, he's he's back there. You can ask him anything you want, and uh, and he'll answer it. He's got an answer for everything. So um, softball too. You can ask him about softball as well. But he's our coach. All right. So we also have soup day. Soup day. We have soup day next Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Now we get like yeah. <laughs> it's always like that here, isn't it? Like soup day, chili day. It's like yeah. Let's go. We've got to invite everyone to come to that. Well, we have um, Soup Day next Sunday, so bring your favorite soup to share, and that'll be following service, and that'll be a great time of uh, enjoying soup, but you know that it's a great time of fellowship. That's where we come together and, and uh, just uh, learn about each other, pray for each other, and, uh, and ministry happens after, after church, so to speak, you know, the, the, uh, where the sermon 
uh, ends, uh, fellowship continues, and ministry continues as well. All right, so this morning we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Please turn in your Bibles there. We continue to go through this letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And uh, the title of this morning's message is Second Guessing Paul. Second Guessing Paul. So let's start out by reading a few verses here. Uh, We're going to go back to the first two verses and then jump over to verse 7. So starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present... I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. And then verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. Father, we know that this can happen, and it happens all the time. Lord, there's a a second guessing of... um, uh, Lord, the work that you have ordained for some people to fulfill uh, within the church. And so, Lord, um, this just gives us an example in, in how to work through it, to give us a proper perspective and an understanding of your truth and the order that you have even set within your church. Lord, to benefit everyone, the whole body. It's not for the sake of one or two people or a certain group of people, um, Lord, a specific one, Lord, but it is for the benefit of the church as a whole. And so, Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what you have for us to see, to open up our ears to hear what you have for us to hear and the manner in which you desire for us to hear it. And, Lord, hearts to... Take this to heart and, and obey, Lord, to receive it, Father, and apply it to our lives, to your glory. And so, Father, we do commit this time into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so second-guessing Paul. That's basically what we come to this morning. Paul begins this chapter by addressing the issue of carnality within the Christian and how it is that we are to address it. You remember that... Um, He gave us in just a few verses the way in which we can be victorious. He pointed to the fact that the Christians in in Corinth were being very carnal. And so he took a few verses, verses 1 through 6, to teach them, to point to the fact that they were being very carnal. And and our fight is not um, in the flesh, it's not according to earthly wisdom, but it's in the spiritual realm, and, and we are given spiritual weaponry um, to do battle in that realm. And so he was, he was pointing them to that. He took those verses to do that. And then he continues in verse, uh, verses 6, beginning in verse 6, and on through the end of this chapter, to, he takes the time to address some specific issues that um, are taking place within the church. This part is something that, as I prayed, is very common within the church. Um, This part, Paul is leading 
into uh, addressing some issues that have arisen within the church, and they are against the Apostle Paul. And, and it's very, like, it's, uh, it should be shocking right, to us. I mean, what is it that the, the church would have against the Apostle Paul? Why is it that they would be questioning his, his apostolic authority? Why, why is that? Has he not demonstrated, demonstrated a genuineness toward them? And the answer to all of that in hindsight for us, we have scripture before us. The answer is yes, of course. He has shown his genuineness, the fact that he has given um, over, even if it costs him his life to their benefit, uh, to fulfill what God has laid out before him to fulfill and accomplish. So, yeah. Now, unfortunately, this isn't anything that any pastor does not deal with within the church. And and that has to come to mind as we apply it to what's going on today. Every pastor has dealt with this to some degree or another within the church that he's really been entrusted with. There's always someone that will be upset and angry with him because he has basically failed to meet their expectations, or although seem to listen, will act contrary to what he has taught from the pulpit, despising his teaching even as if it was a battle of opinions. And it really isn't. That's why we bring across God's word. You hear God's word, it's taught, it's explained, and really it's not a battle with me, it's not a battle with any other pastor, it's not a battle with the Apostle Paul. It's a battle with God himself. It is his word. It's not my word. I'm just the, the messenger, the delivery boy. That's all I am. So the bottom line is that it isn't really about Paul. And he makes it perfectly clear. Just as it's never really about the pastor or the teacher, but about the word of God, the truth, sanctification, the process of sanctification, and our obedience to God. That's the bottom line. The Apostle Paul's apostolic authority was for the benefit of the church, as I said earlier. Not, pers- any, not for the benefit of his personal glory. And Paul goes on to explain some things along these lines to the Corinthians, uh, the Christians uh, in Corinth. Some of the people, not all of the people, by the way, within the church in Corinth were basically second-guessing Paul's, number one, his authority, number two, his word, and number three, his fear of of influence. They were second-guessing those three things as we look at this chapter. Let's first of all take a look at how it is that they were second-guessing Paul's authority and how he addressed this. Continuing on in verse 7, he says, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed So, they first of all are second-guessing Paul's authority. Remember from verses 1 and 2, which we read, Paul was begging them not to test his apostolic authority because he did not desire to come to them having to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. It's all an assumption, 
It's all something that was being stirred up within the church at Corinth. And it was just a, a certain group of people. It wasn't everyone. And that was causing some problems within the church. So much so that he had to address this issue. Second-guessing Paul's authority was one way in which some within the church, again, were testing his authority and would result in him addressing some, very, some people very strongly in person if he had to. And that's what he was, he was begging them. Don't, don't make me do this. I, I don't desire to do this. I, I don't know of one pastor, one pastor that really enjoys confrontation in this manner, truly rebuking someone. Because they were out of line, not in step with God's word, and even causing problems within the church. There is not one pastor that enjoys that at all. knowledge of these things. This is, by the way, how you're behaving and how it's coming across and, and, and where you're in error. And, and I see him, what he said in the first couple verses, I beg you, you know, take heed, listen. And I'm going to explain it to you. I see this meekness and this gentleness and this humility in Paul as he writes this out. And really, it's for our benefit. If we are guilty of any of these things, we should again Draw close to the Lord and listen to what he's telling us. Take heed and apply these things. Number one, um, can I just state the obvious? He did. He said, I, Paul, I'm, I'm a Christian too. I, I'm a fellow believer with you. Just stop for a second and think about this. Why is there fighting among a church among Christians within a church. Why is there fighting? We're on the same team, aren't we not? We are. We're on the same team. If we approach every situation biblically and respond in the right manner, then anything and everything can be worked out to God's glory. It truly can. If we compromise not... For any other reason, but compromise and bend and submit to the lordship of God's word. I tell you, 100% of the time we can work things out. We truly can. Why? Because we're considering him over any of our desires or opinions or anything like that. James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The answer is, yeah. That's exactly it. Your passions, your desires, the things that we will to come across with, our opinions we insist on, and that's where we stand. It's like, no, that's not the way it should be. And so Paul is stating obvious facts. Uh, But it's always the first thing we need to consider. Remember, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember that, are we not? 
That's why any time we come into a, a time of counseling, formal counseling, I first have to establish that fact. Are we followers of Jesus Christ? Are we His disciples? Do we submit to the Lordship of, of Him and His Word? And if the answer is affirmative to all those questions, then we can move forward and we can have biblical counseling. Otherwise, it's of no value whatsoever. Because I don't provide psychological or psychiatric counseling. Not only am I not, not qualified on paper, but I don't wish to do that at all. The only power that is there is, uh, is God's word. And, uh, and, and I believe, as God's word says, that it pertains to life and godliness. Every single bit of it. So, Paul is stating the obvious. obvious. <laughs> I'm a Christian, just as you are. Secondly, Paul's authority was for building. He wanted to make this abundantly clear to them as well. Uh, these, again, these two items should be very obvious. They should be like, yes, of course, you're a fellow believer with me. You're a brother in Christ. Uh, and yeah, we should be there to edify each other. But it appears that Paul was a little uncomfortable having to address his authority because he truly is meek, gentle, and humble. He, he, didn't, he didn't want to address the fact that he did have this apostolic authority, that he was called by the Lord to follow this um, position and this plan and God's will for his life, to follow it out and walk it out. He, he, did, he didn't want to. He's like, I, I don't want to really address this. But apparently I'm going to have to. To him, even a little addressing of this authority would be like boasting. And he doesn't wish to do this. He would rather the church just recognize his God-given authority and realize, realize that he is writing and teaching and leading by God's grace for their benefit. It, it's all for your benefit. Paul is not lording it over them. He is what he is by God's grace. He knew that for building them up, not tearing them down, for edifying them, building up the church. That's why we're teaching. That's why we're counseling according to God's word, for building up the the church, for strengthening you. This is true everywhere. That God has ordained there to be order and authority in the home, in the workplace, uh, in government, and within the church. In all those areas. It, it's not so, okay, you're better than me. and uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's far from that. In fact, in God's economy, those who wish to be first are last, right? Those, uh, sometimes we, uh, we think, oh, we are here to be served. No, 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 no. Uh, Jesus came what? To serve and give his life a ransom for many, right? So he, he led with an example, by an example. I mean, he came to the point to where as he fulfilled completely and perfectly the Father's will to die on the cross, to give his life, to lay it down on behalf of you and me. And so there's, there's this, this order, and we need to understand what that is. And it's all for the sake of edifying the church. And so Paul's saying, hey, I'm a Christian too. And, and yes, yeah, yes, I've been given divine authority by the Lord. 
But it's all to build you up, church. It's not for any other reason. Secondly, they were second-guessing Paul's word. Verse 9, as we continue, says, "I, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So they're, they're second-guessing Paul's word. Uh, and we always hope that no one will second-guess our word, you know, that we mean what we say and say what we mean. Um, God definitely, all throughout his word, was just that. He said what he meant and meant what he said. It was true all the way through and through. For us as Christians, as, as Christ's ambassadors, we should be men and women of our word, follow through, have some integrity. And so these Corinthian believers were second-guessing Paul's word. Now, Paul was accused of writing strongly, but in person, he was very weak. He was unimpressive, is what they were saying. And for the Corinthian believers, this seems to be enough to uh, even despise Paul. It's like that's how strongly it was coming across. Now, apparently Paul wasn't very impressive uh, to look at in person. It was about uh, 8200 that uh, this was written about him. Uh, Colin Cruz addresses this. Quote, a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body. So he was okay as far as his body was concerned. But his eyebrows met, right? With eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. Today we would say he had a unibrow. So he was not a, a man who you could say, wow, he's uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. What a handsome man. He looks strong. You know, like, uh, what's that guy on Beauty and the Beast? Gaston. I know some of you have already watched that movie. Yeah. Gaston, right? Nothing like that. Paul was not a guy, you, you know, who would probably walk into a room and everyone would go, wow, you know, he's impressive. Uh, yesterday, um, I think it was yesterday at the, at the bank, um, <clears throat> there was this, uh, this car that, that pulled up. And, um, and so, very nice car, sports car. It's a Corvette, beautiful car, right? And, and I always I pay attention. I admire these cars, you know. Um, that's about as far as I'm going to get, as far as these cars are concerned. But beautiful car. And then, um, and then the guy gets out, and, uh, man, he had a severe health issue. Uh, apparently, he had been stung by tons of bees, and he was very swollen. Yeah, I mean, he was like popping out of his shirt, like walked like this, and I thought, wow, what's, what's wrong with this dude, right? And uh, so, in other words, he was really buff. And I was telling Isaiah, man, look at that guy. <laughs> that guy looks huge, right? And I cracked a joke uh, with him as well. 
And uh, so he was, he was impressive to look at. He had an impressive car. Um, Paul was not driving a Corvette, nor was he all swole like that. He was, uh, he was, he was not, not that at all. He just came in, and probably people thought, hey, can you get me a cup of coffee? And by the way, there's a, some cleanup in the back of the church here that needs to be taken care of. You know, n- not, not anything that by any appearance would, would seem to... Um, get people's attention. First Samuel sixteen seven says this: For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's really important. You remember the the widow who gave two mites, one penny, and that was a, a lesson for the disciples. He called them over and he said, "Hey, I want to show you what it means to truly give um, sacrificially and with a, with a great heart." And he called the disciples over. God, God is always looking at the heart. He's lo- not looking at the appearance. John Calvin said this, quote, Since Paul excelled in none of those endowments, which ordinarily win praise or reputation among the children of this world, he was despised as one of the common herd. Close quote. I think fitting words, right? By John Calvin. Apparently Paul's looks had an influence on his word to the Corinthian believers. 1 Corinthians 2.1, he said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He wasn't like this charismatic preacher, you know, eloquently putting forth God's word, like you hung on every single word that he said. It wasn't like that. 2 Corinthians 11.6 says, Even if I am unskilled in speaking... I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Now, he did not lack in knowledge. He, he was uh, second to none as far as knowledge of Scripture was concerned. He studied under uh, the most well-known and most respected uh, rabbi of the time, Gamaliel. And so he, he was not one that you could mess with as far as Scriptural knowledge is concerned. He knew Scripture inside and out. But just as the Corinthian believers were impressed with eloquent speech and charismatic, current, popular, strong physical appearance, so can we today. We can too. We can look for the external. For, you know, does he have the the right stories and... Does he, does he crack the right jokes at just the right time? Does he make me feel good? You know, do I walk away with a sense of excitement within me? It's like, ah, oh, man, hopefully you're not looking for that. Hopefully you're simply yearning for the word of God. We today can fall into that trap of always seeking something to excite the emotion and help us to walk away with uh, feeling good. Sometimes we walk away, and I tell you the truth, we don't walk away feeling so good. I, I, I know sitting down and receiving the word of God, we feel like we just got slapped, right? And it's like, wow, you know, did you tell him all about me? Because he seems to be speaking right at me. And that's what happens. There's a sense of conviction, which should lead us to repentance and help us to walk more uprightly with the Lord, walking in step with His Spirit. That's what we are to to do. Paul made it abundantly clear, what we say by letter when absent, we do when we are present. He's saying, hey, there's integrity in what I'm saying. I will walk out what I am saying here. If these 
people within the church desired to test Paul, then they would get what they asked for, a serious and rebuking Paul in person who would not hold back from doing what was necessary. Remember, it was not about Paul. It was not about increasing in numbers. It was about more about ensuring there was sound doctrine held to within the church. It was a healthy church. Remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So he, he was sure to, if there was any addressing that he needed um, to uh, take care of, any, any issues that he needed to address, he would address them. He would not hold back. Also, Paul is saying here that he was not willing to stoop to the level of some people that compared themselves to others. As if his work was a competition with others. There may be other people who portray to be wonderful, he was saying, and and come across with eloquent and powerful speeches, but they are comparing themselves with everyone else, you could say, in the speaking circuit, and are considered by Paul to be without understanding. You know another word for that is ignorant. They just, they don't understand what it is to be a teacher, a preacher, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just don't understand. They're comparing themselves with one another. They should never compare themselves with one another. Because what happens is when we do that, then we're striving to be like other people and comparing ourselves with them. And we have this inferior, superior uh, relationship with each other. And that shouldn't happen. And instead of following the Lord, we're following man. John Trapp said this, Oh, pray to be preserved from this perilous pinnacle of self-exaltation. Look into the perfect law of liberty and draw nigh to God. The nearer we come to God, the more rottenness we find our bones. Close quote. Isn't that true? The, the closer we come to the Lord, we realize, oh, we're, not, we're just rotten. We're just rotten. Thank you, God. And we praise him more for his grace, for his mercy, for his compassion, for his faithfulness. Because in and of ourselves, we're simply depraved. We, we fall so short. Even on our best day, our righteousness is like filthy garments. Not even close. And Paul was pointing out that these men that were exalting themselves and comparing themselves with each other were, again, without understanding. They were ignorant. Think about how carnal this was and that their comparison was with other carnal people. That's what it was. Okay, so you're comparing yourself with other carnal people. You can't grow that way, spiritually speaking. What good would that be to the building of the person in spiritual matters? Nothing, right? What example would that be to lead by, you know, it wouldn't be a right example. The measure of a man in Christ is not measured against other people, but how the heart measures on God's scale. He has a scale. It's called the Word of God. How do we measure up to the Word of God? That's what's going to draw us to be people who more closely resemble or reflect God's glory. It's His Word. Walking in step with Him. Think about these things is what Paul is saying. Think about these things. Remember, this is in all humility and, and, and meekness and gentleness that, God is, that Paul is laying this out for the Corinthians. And he's doing that today too. He's saying, think about these things. Consider them. 
He didn't wish to come and rebuke anyone. He says, take heed, follow these things, listen closely, receive them well. Paul may be unimpressive to look at, and, and, but yet he, he was meek and gentle and humble in person, right? And we know that at the very beginning of this chapter, that's how he came to, the, to them. But he was no pushover. And he said, I will do in person what I've written in these letters. Thirdly, they were second-guessing Paul's sphere of influence. Verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So they were second guessing Paul's sphere of influence. That's what they were second guessing. And basically what Paul is saying is that God had given him a, a sphere of influence. By the way, Corinthian church, you were part of it. Remember that um, I came, spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, and a church was, was born. Okay? The Lord did this work. But I was the first to come to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I won't go to another pastor's church and claim authority. Paul would not go to a sphere of influence of another man and claim authority. There was this this area that he had authority over but responsibility to. This is, this is a sphere of influence that God has given me and entrusted to me. You're my responsibility, and I will have to answer for you. Did, did, did I bring across the Word of God in its entirety? Did I give you the whole counsel of God? Did I explain it to you correctly, in context, rightly? And if not, I'll have to answer for that. When, when, you, when you come and, and you do seek direction, Am I giving you the proper direction? Am I pointing you to the Lord? Those are all the things that I'm going to be held responsible for. And God has entrusted that to me. And also teachers, you know, as far as the little kids are concerned. When, when you're in the children's ministry and you're teaching them, that's your sphere of influence. Anyone that God brings to you, that's your sphere of influence. And here's the benefit of Paul doing what he was responsible for doing, building them up, edifying. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. That's what his desire was. Hey, listen, as, as you grow in your faith, we know that our sphere of influence, the gospel of Jesus Christ will go beyond where we are presently. It'll touch so many other people and it'll bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
I, I think the great example of this was a whole Calvary Chapel movement. Think about it. As more and more Calvary chapels were planted, Chuck Smith's sphere of influence increased and it was for the purpose of building up and not tearing down. You know, it's amazing. I was thinking about that. Okay, so one church, and it happens with any church that is planted and you continue to grow, they grow in their faith. What happened is that sphere of influence continues to grow outside the walls of that church and beyond that geographical location. It reaches far and beyond as our faith increases. Here is a man who outwardly was, was also unimpressive. Wouldn't you say? I mean, if you went into Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in the 70s, and you thought, man, I got to see this guy. And, and, and you walked in and saw him, you'd be like, that's Chuck Smith? <laughs> that's, that's who's leading all these hippies and, and seeing many people come to Christ? That, that's a man a little balding. Um, I didn't quite have the unibrow, but, um, but he, he wasn't anything impressive to look at, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not tearing the man down. I'm just saying, stating a fact, right? He wasn't anything to look at, right? He wasn't like that guy that was popping out, right? He wasn't, but man, he just taught the word faithfully. That's what he did. A pastor begins and ends with whoever God brings to the flock. He is responsible for tending to and feeding. This work is ordained by God, but also increased by God. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47... We just need to faithfully teach the word and continue in the word and having fellowship and being encouraged. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 speaks to this. But really it's God's job to increase and to bring the increase into the church. It's, it's really not the pastor's job to do that. It wasn't Paul's job to do that. He didn't go out with any kind of marketing campaign. He didn't put out any studies. Nothing like that. If God extends the pastor's sphere of influence, so be it. But if not, but if not, then he is still just as responsible to God to seek not his own glory, but continue to point people to Jesus, to his glory. He's still called to be faithful. Paul's desire was to extend the gospel of Jesus to the world because it is God's desire. Consider Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. But it began within the group of people God had initially entrusted to him, and then as they increased in their faith, the area of influence would increase. Gospel growth was directly in proportion with faith growth, is what the Apostle Paul was saying. This is why it's critical to feed God's people as Jesus was telling Peter as he was restoring him. Hey, hey, listen, do you love me? And he asked him three times, right? He told him to feed God's people the word of God and tend to them with the word of God. Tend to them. Feed them. This is what you are to do. And so Paul was telling the Corinthian believers, you are my sphere of influence and I am not giving you over to others who have no real interest in you beyond, beyond their glory. Don't be yourself ignorance of these obvious facts. In fact, the ne- next chapter, we're going to be talking about false prophets, false apostles. He wasn't willing to give them up. 
Listen, here, here was a whole work that he was doing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what was the Apostle Paul doing? Well, he was an apostle. He was a teacher. And he was definitely doing the job of a, of a shepherd, of an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. He was doing those things. And it's all to build the church up to maturity, to understanding and walking in sound doctrine, all being applied in love to God's glory. He was saying, hey, listen, turn your eyes toward Jesus and boast in him as we come to a close here in these last two verses. That really was the bottom line. Don't, don't be carnal, be spiritual. Walk in the spirit that you would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Understand these things, how to battle these spiritual battles. You know, Understand that we have spiritual weaponry. We are to arm ourselves in that way. In verse 17, he says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let the one who glory, glory in the Lord. A person who approves himself or is approved even by a peer group, but not by God, is not really commended nor approved at all. It's like, you know, you have a lot of peers that give you some <clears throat> great comments. You know, I, I mean, I'm hoping to get some great comments on the book that I've written, and you guys will know about that in a short period of time. I'm just kidding. I didn't, didn't write a book. Just go to one book right here. You know what I'm saying, though, right? It's like, oh, well, who wrote some, you know, who endorsed this, this author? And that's what we start going to. And you know what happens is, uh, is because we're looking for those endorsements, we don't realize that those endorse, endorsements are, are no good anyway because they're, they're along the same lines of thought. And uh, there's a lot of psychologizing that happens within a lot of authors of supposedly Christian books. Okay? If you go to, um, it's no longer Brian's, what is Lifeway? Right? If you go to Lifeway, just beware. Please, be very careful. If you have any questions about authors, um, you, you can always ask, and I will give you, um, in all honesty, exactly where that person stands as far as doctrine is concerned and how they teach. I, I, I would be more than happy to do that. But be very careful. Don't just grab something off the shelf and think that it's okay just because it's at Lifeway, because a lot is not. A lot of it is watered down and psychologized and, and not rooted in the Word of God. You know, they may springboard off of a verse or two 
and then give you their own opinion. So be very careful about that. Uh, I do want to always warn you about what could be very dangerous for you. So a person who approves himself or is approved by a peer group, but not by God, is not really commended nor approved at all. There is to be no glory in man, but only in Jesus Christ. We are to glory in him. Paul was quoting Jeremiah 9.24, which we need to read the, the verse before that to put it in its proper context. Uh, no doubt that this was exactly what he wanted them to, to think about. Jeremiah 9.23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's beautiful. Like I said, the Apostle Paul knew the Old Testament inside and out. Like I said, no doubt that this, this was exactly what he wanted them to think about. Wrapping up this chapter. You can second guess a man, but don't second guess God and his word. It is just as weighty uh, personally as it is corporately and eternally as far as the word of God is concerned. It's like you read it and you're like, oh, that seems very nice. Um, you know, but, it, but is it real for my life? Is it applicable to my life? I don't see it fully applying to my life. No, 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 no. God's word applies to every single person in the way in which God has intended it to work and apply. It's to be received and believed and walked out. Don't take it lightly. Don't let it be something that you believe you can take and dismiss As it is written, the bottom line is, so it is. God's word. I believe you receive it well. I want to conclude with this. John 3.16. Right? What is it? We can all quote it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. Right? We know that. It's true. Why would we need a Savior? Well, because we're sinners. Remember, even on our best day, we can't come close to being accepted or received or, or win the acceptance of God. It is only by His grace. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He died for our sins. Did we need a, a Savior to die for our sins? Yes, we did. There's no way that we could earn our way into heaven, into God's glory. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he tells us, and I believe this is, there's no like little prayer that you can pray and be guaranteed of salvation. It's only through the genuineness of a surrendered heart that you can be saved. That's it. And I believe a lot, uh, salvation happens before someone even gets up and comes forward at an altar call. I truly do, because you've made that commitment. You've made that decision. You've already surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. But I, I never want you to go away without knowing what it is that you need to do to be saved. Nothing. Just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, then you would recognize that your sins have separated you from, from God. You simply can ask for forgiveness. And he says that he is faithful to forgive you. And ask him to be your Lord and Savior and walk with him in step and bring him glory. And I can tell you, you will never regret that. I've never regretted I've never met, met anyone that has ever regretted walking with the Lord and surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. And I pray, I'm going to pray for you. And, and, and I hope that, my hope is that if you find yourself in a place to where perhaps you've been fighting with God, you've, you've been holding back, I don't want to fully surrender to him, that today be the day of salvation, that today be the day in which you just completely surrender to him. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are his and he is yours and that your place is with him. As the Apostle Paul said, to be absent for the body is to be present with the Lord and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are his. Why? Because you're a new creature. The moment you surrender your life to him, I tell you, it's amazing how you know in your spirit, you know that you are a new creature. You have new desires. You, you have a new way of thinking and you desire to do nothing less than bring him glory in your life. And the, the work begins in your life at that moment. So I pray that for you. Okay, I'm going to pray right now. And, and I hope if that's you, right now is the time. Surrender yourself to him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Submit to his lordship in your life. Father, we thank you, Lord. I know that these these believers in Corinth may have been second-guessing Paul. That's fine. And I know that it was fine with Paul, but, but what his desire is that they would never second-guess you. That all glory would go to you. That the, the obvious facts were just being laid out for them to receive and, and, and to realize and, and to basically submit to. Not, again, Paul, but the truth of your word. And so I pray the same is with us. That we would surrender to you. Because we know if we lose our life for your sake, then we gain it eternally. If we come to the realization that and believe that Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God, and we cry out to you, we call out to you, as Lord, then we shall be saved. For if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And we praise you for everlasting life in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.